Quality sleep is essential, and that's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. So you can choose what's right for you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores. Sleep Number does that. Sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Unfortunately, you know, the virus has gotten worse in our communities. Unfortunately, there's been increased risk factors for student-athletes. Unfortunately, testing capability hasn't gotten to the point we'd like it to get to, and, and our president's chancellor's ultimately decided to really hit the pause button and uh, reevaluate for post-Gen 1. That's Pac-12 Commissioner Larry Scott on ESPN back in August. As the man who oversees around 7,000 athletes at 12 different universities in the West, he was explaining the conference's decision to postpone fall sports. Well, last week, the Pac-12 changed its mind and announced its football season would start on November 6th. What you may not know is that in making that decision, Scott had some personal experience to inform him. I describe it as a combination of kind of a bad flu and upper respiratory, both hitting at the same time. I'd say five days I was knocked out pretty bad, including a lot of fatigue, but thankfully didn't feel like I had to go to the hospital at any stage. Larry Scott and his entire family of five had COVID-19 back in July. So he had a pretty good idea of what was at risk here. But he also told me that the Pac-12 had put together a plan that in his estimation, he was confident about. So today, we're gonna talk about it. How to play football in the middle of a pandemic. The 15,000 tests a week that will be necessary. The monitoring of athletes' cardiac health. And what's football really gonna feel like when there are no fans? I'm Dr. Sanjay Gupta. CNN's chief medical correspondent. And this is Coronavirus, Fact versus Fiction. You, you had COVID. You got diagnosed. I did. I uh, believe I caught it from my eldest son, who's a junior in college that was home. And then uh, the next week we found out the rest of my family had it. So... I'd say after three weeks, I had my stamina back. I can't tell that I've got any, any signs of lingering issues, thankfully. I'm glad you're doing well. There was some news that you probably heard. The NFL has announced that both the Tennessee Titans and the Minnesota Vikings have indefinitely suspended in-person activities. Uh, and this is because, and again, I'm sure you know this, but three Titans players and five staff members have tested positive for COVID-19. The Vikings played the Titans this past Sunday. So you hear this, you know the protocols that are going on at the NFL. What is your first reaction when you hear something like this? Not not completely surprised. In the first few weeks of college football, we've seen teams not be able to play, you know, including Notre Dame this past weekend. It's one of the reasons, you know, I think our medical advisors have uh, brought an abundance of caution to this and propose something that, you know, heretofore has been considered pretty extreme, which is daily testing. But even with that, we're going with our eyes wide open. I don't think that there are any um, 100% guarantees with this. 
Back on August 11th, the decision by the Pac-12 was to postpone the season. I think that wasn't that they were completely suspending it, but at least postponing it probably till spring. Now we're in end of September time frame, and obviously the decision has been made to to carry forth. What what in your mind was the big difference over that five-week or so time period? On August 11th, we didn't have the public health approvals, and our medical advisors recommended we not proceed with contact practice or play at that stage based on three things. The prevalence of the spread in our communities, the uncertainties around myocarditis and other maybe longer-term impacts, which led them to believe unless we could get to very frequent testing, you know, up to daily testing, they couldn't in good conscience recommend we participate in an activity that could lead to the spread. So what changed for us started with being able to get access to the daily testing on the one hand, which gave them a high degree of confidence that we're not gonna put a student athlete or coach into a practice or into a game that's got the virus. And uh, we've learned a lot more, I guess, about the myocarditis, certainly not conclusive, but there's some degree of comfort or at least lack of correlation between coronavirus and some of the heart inflammation. When we decided to slow down and even stop college sports, there were fewer than 5,000 people in the country who had been infected, fewer than 100 people who had died. And now we're going into a situation where more than 7 million have been infected over the last several months. And as you well know, more than 200,000 have died. I got to tell you, Commissioner, it just fundamentally doesn't make sense to me. Why, why not just wait? Why not just wait until we say we have this thing contained? We don't have it contained right now. You know, in March, I was part of the decision to shut down our basketball tournaments right, right in the middle. And I think at that stage, it was the fear of the unknown. But there's a lot we have learned. Um, we've got the benefit of watching sports around the world figure out a way to manage through this, whether it's Premier League in the UK, whether it's baseball in Asia. You know, the conversations I've had with our university leaders, the conversations start and end by saying there's risk in, what, in whatever you do. Uh, we realize that there's no, there's no no risk scenario, including for young people if they're at home. So I think everyone's trying to manage risks, but there are a lot of implications of shutting down completely in terms of uh, what that means uh, for young people and being able to pursue their education, uh, their mental health, and having some semblance of normalcy. So I, I think trying to strike a responsible balance is what we're aiming for. As a as a father yourself, I'm, I'm curious, when you think about this from the perspective of your kids, would you would you let your own son play college football with the the safeguards that you have in place? I am having uh, my son compete in D1 sports. So my middle son is a D1 basketball player playing in Indiana as a freshman. Now, he's he's had it already this summer. So I uh, feel like he's got some measure of immunity. Another big open question. How much? How long? It's not risk-free, but seeing the protocols the Big Ten has put in place, similar to ours, where they're going to uh, daily daily test, bring an abundance of caution to, to screening and isolation. I am comfortable, and I know how much this means to him. And I've got a son at USC, and I see he's living in a fraternity uh, with 25 other kids. You know, students that are not student athletes, even if they're not in class, 
other on campus, they're congregating, they're doing things. In a way, the student athletes have more support, more diagnostics going on. And in a way, I think, you know, my student athlete may be a little bit more protectable, safer than my other son who's not. You know, I think that's a very fair argument. It is the other stuff, as you mentioned, the aggregating together and campus parties and things like that. And that's going to be a challenge because as predictable as the virus is, another very predictable thing are college students, I think. So do you you inspire through the carrot or through the stick in terms of making sure people are abiding by those public health practices? I I think given what we've learned, uh, the stick is going to be very effective with student-athletes. Uh, when they realize that if an infection breaks out amongst the team, that team may be sitting on the sidelines in football that weekend and not able to play and be at a disadvantage compared to others. I think there's, uh, you know, it's a real wake-up call and there's going to be a high degree of responsibility and self-policing. When when you would do these these large calls with student-athletes, were there players who just said, look, you know, I mean, I really want to play, but I got a sick relative at home or, or I'm, I'm just worried. I mean, how did you how do you deal with those sorts of more individual concerns? Back in August, uh, right before we shut down, we heard loud and clear from a group of uh, student athletes. They were very uncomfortable that there were so many open questions about all this. And that weighed, you know, to a degree. Uh, on our decision to shut down. But one, one of the things we did early that I feel good about is we said to any student athlete, we still do look, if you've got a personal situation, immunity weakness or an at-risk family member at home, and you don't want to play, we encourage you to opt out of, of the season. You will get extended another year of eligibility. And that's the, that's the safety net. The, the Pac-12 was was sort of the the last of the Power Five, at least, conferences to to decide to play. And it was pretty significant pressure, right, Commissioner? I mean, the president is saying, you know, you're, what, what did he say? You're, you're the last one, you know, open up. I mean, look, everybody feels pressure from this president, including, you know, the Centers for Disease Control, the FDA, you know, all, the task force. But what about what about you? We, we did not feel a lot of political pressure. The pressure we felt were from our, our student athletes, our fans, um, other communities that wanted to see us play. But we felt like we had unique challenges that others didn't have, not just the fires and creating you know, clear air where you could be outside and practice and play, but more significantly, um, uh, whether we'd have the support from public health officials in California and Oregon in particular. We could want to play, but if we weren't allowed uh, locally uh, because of the restrictions, doesn't matter what we wanted. We couldn't have gotten through that. You know, you guys were obviously the last of the Power Five. Big Ten took a while longer. Just culturally, is that what you were alluding to, different states in terms of how they would approach this? Uh, Yes. You know, um, there's big cultural differences and kind of college football brings it to life. Some conferences didn't even blink and they started on time. There's just different political pressures in different parts of the country and at least college football uh, is ingrained in the culture as a priority in different ways in different parts of the country. Out West, it's, uh, I think, in a different kind of balance, uh, more measured. I've got, I've got family in Florida. And in Florida, they've just lifted all restrictions on, on indoor dining. And seeing that bars are open in different parts of the country is mind-boggling. So those of us that live in California, where it's 
pretty obvious those are super spreading events. You know, it, it's interesting because getting data uh, in, in the form of testing, which you've, you've mentioned a few times, is, is, is really important because, it, you know, it's not, it can't clear up the fog, but it can at least help you see a little bit more clearly uh, what the situation is. Yeah, that, that's the idea. We believe that short of a vaccine, access to this rapid result uh, testing with frequency is a pathway back not just to sport, but to perhaps school in person, whether it's K through 12 or universities, return to the economy, return to fans in, in stadia, return to flying on airplanes. I, I do want to ask you one more question about a, a letter that several uh, Pac-12 athletes wrote. I guess this was in early August, basically asking the conference to, to address not only safety issues, but also racial justice issues. I was curious what your thoughts are on the letter and, and, and there were specific things that were being asked for, right? They, they were asking for a permanent civic engagement task force uh, to, to really address these social injustice issues, hosting an annual summit to really shine a light on this, uh, asking for revenue as a percentage of revenue to, to, to dedicate towards these issues. I wonder what you thought of the letter, but also the role of athlete when it comes to these justice issues. I am a huge advocate and supporter of a difference that athletes can make to better society because they're role models. They have a platform, they have a voice, um, and uh, why shouldn't they use it to help make society better? Um, you know, vis-a-vis -vis the letter that came in August, I put in the perspective of, you know, on top of a health crisis, financial crisis, we've got a social justice crisis in the country, you know, that erupted, you know, with the atrocious murders that we saw and uh, was not a surprise to me. And I was proud of the way student athletes are reacted in students more broadly when you use the voice and campaign for change. Um, so when we received a letter from some of the student athletes, there were really three elements. There were the social justice points in the letter. There were the health and safety concerns. And then the third component were economic demands. On those, those were the only ones that we really didn't embrace. We have a philosophical grounding and we don't believe that student athletes should be professionals and get paid to go to school and participate in their sport. I know there are different uh, people that feel differently about that, but we've got a very clear position on the economic issues. And just to be clear, I think what the letter was specifically saying was that 2% uh, of conference revenue go to support financial aid for low-income Black students, community initiatives, and development programs. So, is, I mean, do you draw a distinction between that and players being compensated for being athletes? Yeah. Well, the letter had a lot of different things in it. One of them was 50-50 revenue sharing with student athletes getting paid salaries and compensation. So that's really what I was speaking to, that there was opposition. The idea of dedicating resources uh, to, to support social justice initiatives completely on board with. I know this is a, a challenging time, but um, I, I will be watching uh, because I'm a I'm a sports nut, and I and I really have missed my my sports. Is it going to feel the same when I watch it? So I think the quality of what you see the play will be excellent, um, and I think it'll bring the joy to fans like yourself that are dying to see college football at a high level, see the rivalries. Uh, it will be a bit surreal not seeing fans in there, especially with college football. We're not going to have bands. We're not going to have cheer squads. Um, we're not going to see the crazy fans, you know, with painted bodies in the middle of winter. Um, so we're going to miss that. 
So yeah, we're, we're going to have to walk before we run here, like a lot of things as, as we get back. And then based on how that goes, we'll see what the next steps are after that. Well, Commissioner, I, I, I wish you great luck. I hope to stay in touch and uh, good luck this season. Maybe we can talk again in a, in, a, in a couple of months and see how things are going. I look forward to it. Really enjoyed the conversation. I love sports. I love college football. And the fall this year hasn't been the same without it. But I can't help but think that we are still very much in the middle of a pandemic. As I said to Commissioner Scott, we decided to stop college sports when there were fewer than 5,000 people who'd been infected, and now we're ready to restart with more than 7 million infected. It is a huge gamble, and we can't measure how we're doing day to day or even week to week. Only the next several months will tell the true story of what happened here. If you have questions, please record them as a voice memo and email them to asksanjay at cnn.com. We might include them on the next podcast. We'll be back tomorrow. Thanks for listening. Quality sleep is essential, and that's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. So you can choose what's right for you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores. Sleep Number does that. Sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com.